Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, gentle listeners, and welcome to The Sewer Show on 3CR 855am and The Rot. Why not squat the lot? I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Andy Fleming. The real Andy Fleming. The real Andy Fleming. Will the real Andy Fleming please stand up? No, don't. Because then you'll be too far away from the mic for us to hear. I'll just sit, shall I? Your dulcet tones. Yeah. Uh, And we're going to be hearing some other dulcet tones this afternoon. From whom, Cam? Firstly, we're going to talk to Peter and Andy. Wrongfully accused. Oh, right, of course, yes. Andy Fleming, which is ridiculous to me, because I'm sitting here, I can see you, Yeah, you're not a bunch of different people. No, I'm just just this person sitting here, yeah. Uh, And we're also going to be talking to Dr. Jason Wilson with some dispatches from Trump's America. Yeah, um, upbeat. Yeah, all right. (laughs) Don't be too sarks about it. We don't want people to be like, oh, I'll, turn I'll put on Triple M. No, don't listen, put on Triple M. some upbeat uh, <laughs> football talk. No, you need to listen to this. Stick with community radio, folks. Yeah. Depressing though it may be. <laughs> nah, it's, gonna, it's, it's interesting. We'll play some songs too, won't we, Ken? Uh, maybe. Maybe. We'll, we'll see how much time we have. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go now to Peter and Andy. Okay, so joining us... Uh, Today we have Peter and Andy. Welcome to 3CR. Hey, thanks. Hi. So, um, the reason we're having you on is because um, there appears to have been uh, some material published online during the course of the last month or so, which identifies you both as being the authors of my blog. So, I thought it might be a a reasonably good idea to have you both on to uh, clarify that and maybe just talk a little bit about what you've experienced uh, during the course of the past few weeks. Well, we can categorically state um, that we are not the author of your blog. And and uh, does Andy agree? (laughs) Yes, and, you know, sure, I'm a cat lady librarian, but that's about it. Yeah, okay. Um, so, uh, well, to, I guess, uh, background readers, can you, um, Peter and Andy, tell us uh, what's happened? Um, we were notified about two or three weeks ago that um, images from my Instagram account, information from my blog, um, general information from our LinkedIn accounts, a whole range of um, different online accounts that we have, um, were pieced together in um, a case of mistaken identity where it was suggested that um, my first name being Andy and Peter's surname as an alias, um, that he's gone under many, many times, but you know, in the past, um, which was Chummy Fleming, um, that somehow we made up Andy Fleming. So really based on that, they just pieced together a narrative from information that's incorrect because, you know, we're not you. That's true. (laughs) Um, So uh, where did this 
material appear um, and how did you come to learn about it? Uh, we were informed by a friend of mine uh, who sent me a Facebook message and pointed us in the right direction. That's the first we ever heard of it. Mm. Okay. And then what was your reaction when you first read this material? Because I've also seen it and the person responsible seems to have gone to quite a lot of effort to obtain basically everything they could scrape off the web about you guys. Um, what did you think or feel when you actually read it? Well, naturally anybody who um, is subjected to any kind of bullying, um, it's incredibly distressing. So to think that some of this information, of course, is freely available because, you know, I've written a blog but to kind of take that and twist it and to try to um, basically... Force it into a logic. Yeah, but also like crap all over us basically as human beings um, as, I guess, retribution um, was incredibly distressing. And, you know, we've been living in a distressed state ever since because you sort of wonder who's reading this. There were threats under the Facebook post about, you know, let's find where they live, let's teach them a lesson, all that kind of information. And, you know, for two regular people just going about their lives, it's terrifying. And what's been the your response? I mean, how... I mean, I, I guess I've, you know, I... Um, this is not the first time that this... Uh, kind of thing has happened there's been uh, several other people who've been falsely uh, nominated as being myself I've contacted those people I've invited them onto the show we've interviewed them I've tried to make it as clear as I can that this is another you know these are cases of mistaken identity um, do you think I mean are there other uh, responses that you've considered undertaking? There are. We haven't, we haven't sat on our hands at all. We've pushed back. Um, we've had um, one web page or two posts to a website taken down. Mm. Um, we've had... Uh, we've muted, I guess, another one, although he's skirting around the edges and it still stands, hmm. um, and there's a third that we're working on. But, of course, we've contacted Victorian Police because, you know, we, we were terrified that um, it was named where we worked, so we thought, well, there could be retribution. Um, and so, yeah, we contacted the internet hosts and they were very supportive and said that it breached their community standards and the posts were removed. So we're actually incredibly grateful for that. So hopefully uh, you guys talking to us on the radio tonight will dispel some of the uh, the hangers-on to this theory because uh, I did see someone posted a video of you, Peter, uh, and said compare the voices, which is also something that they've done before with Previous people have found uh, audio of them and then uh, compared the voices, although their um, comparison wasn't very good. But I think it's very clear when 
you have two people talking to each other, you can hear their voices are different. Indeed. But, uh, I mean, on the other hand, it's sort of beggars belief that there'd be uh, more than two people in Melbourne who hate Nazis and love cats. <laughs> Maybe there's a support group out there for us. I mean, I do. I know it's been the case uh, on a number of previous occasions where I think where I've been, you know, John Smith or whoever... Uh, has been nominated as being myself. And sometimes, I mean, one of those uh, initial claims was made by someone who was living in, I think, regional or rural Queensland, and I suspected at the time, and maybe, you know, I'm wrong, but there wasn't an understanding that Melbourne's actually quite a big city um, with lots of people. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of handies, there's a lot of... As Cam said, uh, people who love cats, who hate Nazis, there's actually quite a large pool of people, uh, you know, that they could, uh, I guess, draw upon or examine in order to, you know, if they're trying to establish who I am, that maybe they just don't grasp that. Um, it's quite odd. And I think there is a, you know, in the material that's been published recently, there's obviously a, a sense of desperation on the part of some of these critics about you know if they find something that even looks vaguely like it might be connected to myself they'll jump upon it and then you know run with it i guess the the kind of i'm really glad you guys have taken the actions that you've you have and, and have come onto the show but um you know, it's also the case, I think, that sometimes in this context where materials being published about individuals, um, you know, it, it is the case that, you know, I've been active online as a blogger and a writer about the far right for, you know, 12 years or something. And unfortunately, it's the case that that kind of politics does draw towards it people who are genuinely psychotic. And... You know, if you read some of the material they publish online, it's, you know, it's really disturbing. Um, so I'm kind of hoping that, you know, in some way or other, moving forward, it might be possible to, I don't know, um, make this kind of thing less likely to occur in future. But I, I guess I worry that, you know, uh, because there is this kind of, desperation on the part of many that it'll just keep carrying on, unfortunately. Well, conspiracy theorists will continue to theorise. It's as simple as that. Yeah, true, true. And they do have that large pool of people, so I think they're going to try and work <laughs> through them one by one. Yeah. Well, indeed, I mean, it's, what they also haven't realised is, given Chummy Fleming is a, is a historical figure... They haven't realised that there is more than one person using the pseudonym of Chummy Fleming. Mm. Even some of the accounts that they were um, saying that Peter was responsible for, he has no... They're not him, <laughs> which is the really funny thing. Yeah, it's like... Uh, I, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the uh, Luther Blissett uh, label, which has been uh, adopted by, you know, it's a what do you call it, a group handle. It's been used by hundreds, if not thousands, of people over the years. 
based on a real historical figure. Um, but, you know, Chummy Fleming, as you point out, was a, you know, I guess relatively well-known anarchist from Melbourne. And I know myself, other people who've used the term or the name Chummy Fleming, you know, in all sorts of different contexts, simply because it's, you know, I guess on the one hand, some, you know, way of paying respects to previous generations of uh, activists and so on, but also because it's, I don't know, a good name, I guess, Chummy Fleming. <laughs> Better than Grumpy Fleming. Okay, so thanks for coming on. Um, are there any final thoughts or words you guys have for our listening audience? No, I think I'm, I'm good. Yeah, it would just be nice if it kind of stopped, if this, was, this would help actually um, prove or, you know, disprove um, that we're, we're not you and that um, they really need to, um, you know, if, move on, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I've been thinking. I've been thinking about the person responsible, and I, 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 I can't hate him. I can hate what he stands for, and I can hate what he's done. But he's he's really quite pathetic and and sad. No argument here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's he's very much a um, victim of uh, his mind, unfortunately. But uh. Yep. It's a shame that he has to make other people victims of that as well. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show, uh, Peter and Andy, and uh, take care. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. On the line from Portland, Oregon, freelance journalist Jason Wilson with another dispatch from Trump's America. How are you, Jason? I'm very well. How are you, Kev? Uh, good. Uh, it's been an interesting little month. Yeah, it just keeps getting more and more interesting is the word for the last year or so, really. I mean, we're coming up on um, a year since Trump was elected, and it, it seems like much longer than that in some ways. It, it seems like we've been enduring this for much longer than much longer than a year. Yeah, and I'm... Um, yeah. On November 4 is when uh, Antifa is scheduled to uh, cause havoc, I understand. From watching Alex Jones? Well, it's the yeah, the, re the revolution is is happening, right? I mean, can, can you can you guys shed any light on that? Because that'd be a pretty big story if you know anything about it. Um, it's totally legit, <laughs> and there will be a revolution in the United States on November four, and nothing's going to stop it. Yeah, well, there's one thing that'll stop it, and that's if my uh, well, Soros Foundation check doesn't clear. Well, you know. <laughs> They haven't bounced yet, have they, uh, Cam? Not yet. They, they clear every week, don't they? Um, so, yeah, there's been... It seems like a... I saw someone say, because the, uh, the JFK files are going to be uh, released by the time this goes to air, I saw someone say this is the year of conspiracy uh, for the United States, and it certainly seems like uh, conspiracy theories are running wild at the moment. I... I have been thinking about this a lot myself and thinking actually about writing something longer on it, but that's another story. I mean, it seems like um, it's universal at the moment. It's not just conspiracy theory is not just something that you can isolate to one particular political tendency almost at the moment, at least, you know, 
in mainstream politics. Mm. Um, you know, people seem to be matching each other with different conspiracy theories. I mean, it's obviously worse on the right, as 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 usual. Um, but yeah, it is quite striking. I mean, I mean, Donald Trump is a long-term, well-known, and voluble conspiracy theorist, as are a lot of the people he's surrounded himself with. Um, so yeah, it's 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 quite amazing how how pervasive that is now and how it's it's going to or it's catching on you know conspiracy theories of various kinds are catching on in parts of the media which have never been you know respectable necessarily like fox news but which maybe when roger ailes was in charge some of the stuff that's getting on the air now um various conspiracy theories that are getting on the air might not have gotten on the air previously but yeah, Trump's been on Twitter, right, um, stirring up some interest in the release of these these JFK files, which, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll turn the world upside down. Yeah. Probably they'll just contain a lot of stuff that we already know or could have guessed at. But but it's just another thing that he's using, another kind of vein of conspiracy theory that he's using in the way that he uses all of this stuff, I think. Um, well, I mean, during the, during the campaign, yeah. he made statements that suggested he believed that there was a conspiracy to assassinate JFK. Like, he uh, accused Ted Cruz's father of being involved. <laughs> now, right. does he even remember that? <laughs> does he even remember that he said that? Or is well, that something that he actually believes? I mean... It's it's still hard to get a grip on the man's psychology. I mean, I think maybe we can look at it functionally, the way he uses conspiracy theory, maybe, rather than speculating about whether he really believes it. And I suspect he does believe some of it. But, but certainly he uses it to stop people talking about other things mm. um, and to... I think, you know, going back to the Bertha stuff, that's how he first came to prominence as a political, a specifically political figure, as yeah. opposed to a game show host. You know, and he he was um, using that in a way to to delegitimise and subvert the political process in various ways and. You know, I think he still kind of does that, but he he can, he's also capable of using conspiracy material as a kind of short-term distraction. Um, but you know, I, I don't know if you've read any of the books about the campaigns. I haven't read Hillary Clinton's book about the campaign yet. I don't know if you guys have, but some of the other books about the campaign suggest that he he kind of surrounded himself, you know, in his campaign stuff with people who. You know, people like Roger Stone, um, who are people who also have pushed for a really long time conspiracy theories about the Clintons, you know, mm. allegedly murdering a bunch of people and, you know, being involved in various nefarious activities. And, you know, that's another thing that's bubbled up to the surface again this week, um, the conspiracy theories about, you know, Russia buying uranium, um, 
you know, with with the with the help of the Clintons. Mm. And you know, I first heard that conspiracy theory that, that the Clintons were looking to sell uranium to Russia out of the Malheur occupation. Like a bunch of those guys out there were were saying that the reason that um, the ranchers who were at the centre of that, the people that they were kind of protesting about, the reason they got sent back to jail. So, so a couple of ranchers got um, the story. There was a couple of ranchers got sent back to prison to serve a minimum sentence for kind of domestic terrorism type charges because they'd set fire to BLM uh, federal land administered by the Bureau of Land Management, the BLM. Um, and and they had been in a long-term fight about grazing rights, and that's a big issue in the West, you know, like gradually the federal government is rolling back or starting to charge people more for grazing rights on public land. Anyway, the thing that people out there were saying, oh, the BLM are acquiring more and more land and pushing the Hammonds, this was the name of the ranchers, off their land because there's uranium out, out here that they want to sell to the Russians. Right. You know, and it's it's all about Hillary Clinton wanting to sell uranium to the Russians. And that's just been hanging around and it just bubbles up to the surface every now and again. And it's a really useful distraction from the very serious questions, which I may have mocked in an earlier conversation of, of ours about, about Russian... Uh, Russian interference in the election, um, you know, which which does seem to have something to it, and you know, the investigation seems to be touching on a whole lot. They got you, Jason. Now. They got you. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I was I was wrong, and Louise Bench was right. I think um, <laughs> I think we always maintain that we were open to being wrong about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I think I, I think that's right. Yeah, I th I think also the point that uh some of the uh, commentary around it was sort of uh, hysterically uh, kind of apocalyptic still <laughs> holds up. Yeah, I th I think that's right. And if you go back to Richard Hofstadter, you know, who was the first guy who really started talking about conspiracy theory in a serious way as a sociological uh, and historical phenomenon. He he kind of said that right from the off. He said, you know, they can be saying stuff that's true, but it's about how it's rhetorically presented. You know, the, the, the thing that makes conspiracy theory is partly a rhetorical or performative thing. So, you know, that's my excuse anyway. Yeah, and also it didn't. It, it's not turning out that every single person in Washington is in the pay of uh, Russian spy masters, which is what was being claimed no. in some courts. And it's it's complicated by the fact that some people are um, some people are involved with Ukraine as well. You know, like so Tony Podesta, John Podesta's brother, has been kind of named. Um, in, in some stuff around this investigation, and and he wasn't working for Russia. He was he was working for Ukraine, and Russia and Ukraine have kind of lobbied different sides of American politics. So it's it's quite complicated, and there and there are still really strange things happening, like uh, a Czech, a right wing Czech think tank issued a literal blacklist the other day that's been going around social media. You know, of everyone who's ever appeared on RT, basically, mm. you know. 
I mean, stuff like that is still happening, which is really strange and troubling. And there was a pretty good report in the Washington Post last week about how the Russian-American community is feeling about this. And, and people are still feeling kind of scapegoated and unwelcome by, by, by a lot of this stuff. So we still have to watch it. But but anyway, I mean... We were wrong. There seems to be... No, right about everything. To... Pizzagate's real. <laughs> But there, but there seems to be something to, you know, um, the links there between certain people who surround Trump and 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 Russia and 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 there does seem to be a certain effort on the part of certain kinds of um, agencies coming out of Russia to. To, to, to carry out, you know, a form of inter, information warfare and who knows how effective it was and who knows what level it went to, but there seems to be something coming out. But, yeah, the the Hillary, the alleged Hillary-Russia connection, which seems to be totally fantastical, hmm. is is being used in right-wing media as a kind of distraction or a, or a whataboutism type, type thing, you know, to, to distract from that. And, yeah, I mean, that's where we started, right? Trump's really good at using this stuff as a way of restarting the conversation or having the conversation be about something else. Um, and he's tapping into a longer history of, I think, conspiracist thinking on the right, which, um, you know, is not going anywhere. Um, you know, we've seen all kinds of stuff about... Uh, well, Vegas, right? I mean, we were talking about that earlier. Um, well, there was a um, you know connection between Las Vegas and anti-fascists in Melbourne, according to the Daily Mail. Oh, I had not seen that. Can you? Can you oh, really? That? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, Stephen Johnson of the Daily Mail published an article within the space of I don't know twenty-four hours of the shooting in which he uh, republished a claim of solidarity that had been expressed by a Nazi troll page on Facebook. And this was then, and it happens with some, this is how it works, this uh, fake material was published, it was picked up by the Daily Mail, it published an article, and then it was adopted by, you know, any number of... Uh, right-wing uh, sites that either simply republished the claim or republished it along with, you know, their particular spin. And I noticed on Twitter, um, you know, talking about Russian bots and bots of one sort or another, this story, you know, there were hundreds of accounts on Twitter that were just spamming this story out, trying to connect... Uh, the shooter in Las Vegas to anti-fascism, um, mm. and it, and it's happened uh, again just this week with uh, a person claiming to be the founder of anti-fascism in Australia being interviewed for the Daily Telegraph. Um, that article being published and then it immediately being picked up by, you know sites like Your Newswire and others that have taken the the bulk of the text and simply added 
by the way, the founder was also working for Soros, and Soros instructed him to create a movement that would pose an even greater threat to the West than ISIS. And then, yeah. and again, you have like hundreds of accounts on Twitter and I'm sure Facebook, thousands that are just spamming this story out over and over and over again. Mm. So Mr. Johnson appears to have a very lively imagination, doesn't he? That, that's the first thing. Well, I'd yes, say. no. I mean, it's actually the third time he's referenced this Facebook page. And on each occasion, right. it's been point, it was pointed out by me and others at the beginning of this year that this page is a troll page. You know, it's nonsense. Um, that hasn't stopped him from... And I think he knows perfectly well that the page is a yeah. troll page. Um, but... You know, if the troll page, and this is how it works, if it can generate, you know, a, a screaming headline, it's great. Yeah. And, you know. All about them clicks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's it's a very sobering situation, I think, um, in, in the media at the moment. Because, you know, I mean, the Daily Mail... The, the three of us no doubt have a pretty set opinion about the Daily Mail and its reliability, but it is this kind of durable masthead that, that has confers a certain kind of authority, particularly for a certain audience on, 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 on the, on whatever it decides to publish. And, you know, people will take that as fact. Um, and for it to just be funneling, you know, what what can only be described as as fake news straight to its audience you, you know it's it's really difficult in the moment to push back against this stuff i think it's it's really disorienting i think um for everyone um you know in in an environment like the one we have where where you know what circulates generally is the headline mm. more than the actual story well, I, um, I was looking at Vegas stuff, and I yeah. looked up a. I saw that Ann Coulter had said something about it, so I looked up Ann Coulter in Vegas. I saw the headlines like Ann Coulter says Vegas is an inside job, uh, but it was on one of those sites like uh, Your Daily News Wire dot net dot kr or whatever. But then, on the other hand, I found what Ann Coulter had actually written, and it was not too far off. It was. She was just saying that uh, you know there were questions to be asked of the what was really going on in Vegas. Oh yeah, I read that too, and it wasn't great, right? It was it was verging on conspiracy theory, but it was more careful than mm. she didn't come out and say it was an inside job. No. Exactly. But she she did propose an alternative. She was like, "This is what if this was a movie, this is what would happen." And she, she suggested that there'd been some sort of arms deal with ISIS going down and uh, right. they had then uh, killed Stephen Paddock and then uh, shot all these people out the window as a cover for the arms deal and then fled into the night. I was like, well, no, yeah. that's not what would happen if it was a movie because <laughs> somewhere in the production process someone would say, this doesn't make any sense, <laughs> this is on the nose. Uh, but I've I've so, since seen that theory put out there by people like Alex Jones as not as this is what would happen if it was a movie. It's like this is w what happened. Yeah, 
I mean, it's a troublesome situation because, you know, it, it still appears like a kind of a motiveless crime and not just a crime, a mass murder. Hmm. And so in this vacuum, this kind of stuff can prosper. But, but you know, if this guy was black or, or God help us, brown, you know, like if he was a Muslim, we wouldn't be debating any of this stuff about motives, you know. Um, and 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 you know, had he been a, a, a Muslim um, a, a, with any kind of connection to um, uh, Islamism at all, I mean, the security situation in this country would have would have changed markedly. I mean, it, mm. it may not have been a 9/11 level event, but it would have been pretty bloody close. You know, imagine, imagine a Muslim guy killing that many people and wounding that many people mm. in Las Vegas. I mean, you know, the country would have changed markedly. And I can tell you, nothing's changed. Yeah, well, nothing's I, changed here. I saw some people saying, like, a, like right-wing people saying that this was a conspiracy, that this was happening, that uh, the media had sort of just stopped reporting on it, that they, everyone had mm. moved on. And it's like, but they move on from every mass shooting it's just another just another shooting like right. you're always going to have one come along every few years that's the biggest one ever but uh yeah you know it's not that rare an occurrence i, I don't know if you saw uh, greg pa palast the journalist uh no, what did he say about it uh he went to school with stephen paddock no way and he um he sort of uh, pinned it on uh, late capitalism a bit. Uh, he said, look, you know, we were out in the, the polytechnic. We weren't at the school that where they thought that anyone, any of us were ever going to uh, achieve anything. And um, he talked about how Paddock had gone on to work at Lockheed Martin. And then, you know, in the 80s with Reaganomics, he was laid off with everyone else. And he'd just put his money into... Uh, like some slum apartments out in the outskirts of Las Vegas, and that's how mm -hmm. he's made his money since. And because there were people talking about uh, how he'd put his he'd put his money into real estate, and he was like a real estate baron of some sort. But he's like he just mm. he he was a slum lord who just lived in one of his slums, and he was people talked about him being a professional gambler, which in reality it seems amounted to just being a gambling addict playing the pokies uh, all day. Yeah. And uh, I know people, you know, one of the big mysteries, I think, where conspiracies are trying to fill in that gap is that, you know, there is no motive, but alienation, desperation. Yeah. Wanting to uh, yeah. make some I mean, sort of mark on a world. Well, the, di the difference between garden variety alienation even violent, even alienation that leads to violence. Um, and this situation is his access to high-powered weapons, yeah. you know. And um, and that's the thing, I think, that, um, you know, the, the conspiracy theories are, are muddying the waters around that, that kind of central issue, I guess. You know, the fact that this guy was able to amass such an arsenal um, mm. without 
any kind of uh, oversight or any any real barriers. Well, everything's, I mean, everything seemed to be legal. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and and um, Nevada in particular has has almost no restrictions on you know getting semi-automatic weapons. I don't even think they really have any substantial background checks. I mean, Nevada's really. Um, really free and easy, even in the context of the United States. I mean, in Oregon, where I am, you at least have to, you know, they type your name into a computer and make sure you, you're not a felon, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but, but uh, so you have to wait 10 minutes before you get your AR-15. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's no... There's no restrictions on how many guns you can own. There's and and in Nevada, there's no real barrier to, to buying them. And and look, you know, there's a. Let me put it this way: I, I have encountered in the last few weeks people on the left who are not into the idea of gun control, particularly. Um, and you know, there's a debate to be had there. But but one thing's for sure. Um, you know the right don't want any kind of gun control, and that's that's a position that's ruthlessly, you know, enforced by the NRA and uh, and its grassroots, genuinely grassroots network of activists who can make a politician's life difficult, and by the gun industry, which is which is a wealthy industry um, that's trying to sell. Um, new and exotic types of guns into a, a completely saturated market, um, you know, and, and is, is a very profitable industry. Is, so, you know, I mean, the whole right, I mean, that you know, the right can disagree about, the right can even disagree about abortion more than this issue, I would say. You know, like, there's there's more room for disagreement on, on, on abortion than on guns. Uh, you, you'll find that everyone right of centre is, you know, Second Amendment strong, and that's really the waters that, that the conspiracy theories on the right are muddying, in my opinion. Mm. You know, like, but like is... Alex Jones would rather talk about anything other than gun control. Yeah. But is, is the gun control debate completely over? Because I saw, after the shooting, I saw oh, the most tepid response from uh, the liberal side of politics, I suppose, uh, which was... There was a, you know, the, I think there was some sort of silencer ban being proposed, and uh, yeah. they were saying, you know, imagine how much more damage he could have done if he'd had silencers on his, uh, on his weapons, and that was as far as they were willing to go. And even I think the um, proposals to ban bump stocks is like, it's done. It's dead in the water. Yeah, I don't think it even was a ban. Cam, I, I, it was it was um, there was a proposal that was coming before Congress to deregulate um, silences, suppressors, as they call them sometimes, completely, mm. and um, and that was something that was expected to be carried, and for about five minutes. Um, it looked like they might rethink that. And no, they're not going to. They're not going to rethink that now. And I think it was actually Hillary Clinton who said, um, 
something like you know they heard, people heard the the sound of the gunfire and that's why they ran away and uh, and that's what the republicans the republicans want to let people have silences so they and it was kind of a dumb thing to say yeah i mean it I didn't guess. it didn't make sense it's not how it no. really works no but you're completely right i mean there's you know my take on this having done a few stories now about about massacres and gun control is that there's just no prospect of this changing anytime in the future um since the ruling in 2009 the hedges ruling i think it is um referred to as by the supreme court um which did define um the second amendment as an individual uh right to to, to bear arms any arms basically um you know, un until the Supreme Court changes, um, you know that's that's not going to change. The Supreme Court would need to change, and there would be need need to be a pretty big change in public opinion to go along with it. Um, and in order to force the court's hand, um, if anything, things are going in the opposite direction. I mean, it used to be the case that universities, even in red states, were kind of gun-free zones and, and universities were allowed to make those kinds of decisions and restrictions. Um, recently, state legislatures have been eroding that and uh, in a lot of states now you can you can conceal carry on a university campus and, and all kinds of other places that used to be gun-free. I mean, the policy changes right now are mostly happening in the opposite direction and the most that gun control advocates are talking about in a lot of cases are things like background checks i mean they're not talking about you, you know the assault weapons ban for example that that that's attained um throughout the late clinton years and expired in 2004 i mean no one's talking about anything like that now mm. um so, you know, I, I think that's where, you know, a lot of the arguments you see on the left about about opposing gun control come from. It's just like, well, you know, when you turn up in Charlottesville and see 60 right-wing guys toting AR-15s wearing combat fatigues, it's just like, well, we need some kind of deterrent. We need some kind of um, level of... Oh, some kind of capacity ourselves to defend ourselves against that. And so it gets complicated, but you're absolutely right about the, the political situation and the legal situation around guns. I just, I just don't see it changing anytime soon. And if it didn't change after Sandy Hook, hmm. you know, when, when, when school kids were murdered, I mean, what, what, what would persuade people? <laughs> Is, um, is what happened in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, in 1979, where there was a uh, a shooting conducted by members of the KKK and Nazis on a counter-protest? Do you think uh, does that enter into the discussions that the left has about guns in America, especially in the I contemporary era? I think so. I, I would put it... Simply, I would put it this way. I think that gun control is a, 
an absolutely totemic issue for liberals and for the Democratic Party, um, but they're extremely limited in what they can do. I, I think that on the left, it's always been less, you know, a, a, a second-order issue. And I think now, I mean, the Greensboro stuff came up a lot. You, you two probably noticed it too after Charlottesville, you know, mm. after the murder there. Um, there were a lot of comparisons made uh, with that. And, and, and I guess there was an anniversary recently as well. So, yeah, I think you're seeing uh, things like Redneck Revolt and the John Brown Gun Club, you know, organised tendencies on the left which are training people in the use of guns, um, which are, um, I suppose, trying to present themselves as well as an alternative to um, right-wing militias for, for certain kinds of people and hoping to peel, peel some people off. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think that that's a, definitely a live discussion on the left and, and partly because of historical precedents like Greensboro, as you, as you, as you, as you say, and, and partly because of what's happening now as well. What we're seeing now in... I mean, open carry is a kind of new horizon as well. Um, the ability to carry automatic weapons into the centre of a city like Charlottesville and that's what happened there. There are a lot of cities that allow you to do that. Um, so I think in this new environment, understandably, um, there is a discussion, you know, um, on the left, and there are organised tendencies on the left that are that are saying we should be armed as well. So, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't pretend to want to have the last word in that discussion or try and shut that down and say that it's it's ridiculous because patently it's it's kind of rational at some level but um but yeah it's just another component in in the idea that you know this country is not going to get rid of the situation that that exists now where where high-powered weapons are in civilian hands you know hundreds of millions of high-powered weapons are in civilian hands so yeah i mean that's that's just where we're at unless Nothing we've got a really big magnet it's going to significantly change that but you know it does lead to situations like las vegas i mean and that's that's the decisive thing that's the decisive thing between an alienated guy who, uh, you know, is inclined to violence and a, and a mass killing, I guess. I mean, that, that's the way I see it. Bringing things back around to Charlottesville, um, how have Richard Spencer and the alt-right been faring since August? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's a mixed bag. Um, like he had another, well, he's had another couple of events in the last few weeks. So he had another torchlight rally in Charlottesville about four weeks ago. And that was quite small, but it happened. Um, and he got the requisite amount of media coverage. And then, of course, 
you know, he had the event in Gainesville, Florida. Now, he was strongly opposed there. Um, you know, his speech was disrupted. Um, it was picketed. Um, and, you know, the protesters there were not easy to characterise in, 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 in the lazy way that, you know, a lot of media have come to do it. They weren't easy to characterise as black bloc or Antifa, and, you know, the demonised kind of image of Antifa. Uh, I think tactically people chose not to present themselves in that way. Um, it, it seemed to be that many and, of the people there were local college kids. Is that right? A lot of them were. I right. mean, but, you know, that was the case in Charlottesville as well. And it's it's been the case in Portland as well. I mean, it's just that those masks and, and what have you are the, are the things that attract the cameras. Right. But, but anyway, I mean, yeah, there, it seems like there was a self-conscious decision there by counter-protesters to pre present themselves in a certain way. Um, to, to, to my mind, I wasn't there, unfortunately, but, you know, I watched all the live streams and, 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 and the media and stuff, and it seemed like... It seemed like he was pretty effectively shut down. But, of course, what both sides claim victory. The main point is, though, that these guys are still doing stuff. Um... I feel like the initial reaction to Charlottesville, the first few weeks after Charlottesville, people were thinking, well, this is a kind of death blow. Um, these guys are only going to decline from here. Um, this, is a, this is a sort of a decisive blow against the alt-right. Um, I'm not so sure now. Um, I think they're going to keep organising... I don't know if they're going to get anything organised at the same level as Charlottesville for a while, but they're not going anywhere. And the underlying conditions that have given rise to this movement aren't going anywhere. Um, they've still got a large pool of people who maybe are not radicalised enough yet to go out into the street. But, um, you know, they... They're well organised. Um, they're good at communicating to their constituency, to their followers. Um, I feel like they bounce back a little. And the biggest obstacle now for people like the locals here, you know, Joey Gibson, the people we've been dealing with here in Portland, and, you know, he's been down to Berkeley and all over the place as well. The biggest obstacle they've got now is, it's, and this sounds a little, um, you know, flippant, but it's true. The, the biggest obstacle they, now, they have now is the weather. You know, the weather's changing. They've done a lot over the summer. Um, things were tailing off towards the end of summer, and now it, it, winter's coming, and, you know, it's going to be hard to have these kind of mass demonstrations outside, particularly on the East Coast, because it's just, it's just unpleasant to be outside. So... You know, we'll see what they do over winter. We'll see what next spring is like. Trump's not going anywhere, and Trump is still a huge factor in all of this. Um, and he's still a figurehead. And, you know, the, the guy at these rallies is still wearing Trump caps. Um, I don't think he's going anywhere soon. I, I, I'm not hearing a lot of that impeachment talk anymore, although there have been new developments today. We'll see. But, yeah. Um, and is, um... I, I don't know. I feel like they're going to bounce back, at least to some extent. I don't think they're going anywhere. 
Is Milo Star still shining bright in the United States? Well, more so in Australia, it seems. To yeah, be. what's going on? They didn't. Well, I don't know, man. You they tell me. They didn't get I the memo. Everyone else got the memo. Uh, but it seems like the <laughs> like the Australian media massively missed that memo, and you kind of want to go up to Max Marks and be like, "Dude, you need to Google this guy. Just Google, <laughs> like Google some of these articles." Yeah, I I don't know. I think you know that big BuzzFeed story about him, which I'm sure you guys read. You know the the big email dump of his where. I, I just feel like um, he's always been dependent on a certain level of sponsorship, hmm. you know, and that's been confirmed now from, from the messes, from right-wing billionaires. Um, he, yeah, I would say his star is, is, is on the wane here in the U.S. I mean, Bannon's disowned him in the last few days. Um, on what basis? You know, he's... Sorry? On what basis has Bannon disowned Milo? I think just a, a believe it or not, a perceived closeness. He's, he's said something about it being too close to white nationalists. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I think Bannon still thinks he can sort of walk that line. Yeah, um, okay. For some sailed on that. But... But I think it's just it's, it's probably just a cumulative thing with bad publicity. Um, he's still doing a campus tour, but it's it's kind of smaller campuses. And I think I think that failure in Berkeley, he tried to have that free speech in Berkeley, which utterly collapsed. And I think that damaged his credibility. But you know, there's always Australia. Know, maybe, we we welcome every second rate. You know. Well, I wonder. Yeah. I think half of it is that the Australian media is so desperate for anyone. Like they're like, someone wants to come here. <laughs> yeah. And the the other half of it well, is like his um he's done his research. He's like, oh, Milo is really popular in Australia. It's like, no, we like the chocolate drink, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I did, Richard Cook's article in the Saturday paper. Last weekend was pretty good on on um, you know the welcome map the Australian media throws out to these right wing dead enders from other countries like Lord Moncton and stuff. You've got no credibility in the places that they're from. But, you know somehow the Australian media I don't know sees them as a draw card or yeah maybe just isn't well informed or isn't critical enough. You know. Gosh, you not um, critical yeah. enough? Come on, Jason. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. But, but, yeah, I, I, I feel like he, he specifically might may, may have a problem, and you know, some of the alt light guys are having more and more trouble distinguishing themselves from from, you know, the Spencers of the world, but. You know, I think the notoriety, the post-Charlottesville, I, I feel more and more like the post-Charlottesville notoriety is, is actually kind of helpful to Spencer um, in particular ways. And the difficulty in distinguishing, you know, cultural nationalism from white nationalism, you know, and that's always been the alleged distinction between the alt-right and the alt-right or between Trump and 
you know, Jared Taylor or whatever. You know, it's supposed to be this distinction between cultural nationalism, which is not necessarily racist, and white nationalism, which explicitly is. I mean, the fact that that's getting harder and harder to maintain, the fact that these guys are showing up to all the same protests and, you know, you're getting outright racists wearing Trump hats and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think that that benefits the more extreme guys more than it does the people whose fortunes depend on maintaining that distinction and saying that they're not, they're not the extremists, that they're, they're somehow legitimate. You know, I think someone like Spencer benefits from this because it drags a certain number of people across the line. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it makes a certain kind of constituency think, well, you know, we, we might as well be as edgy as we possibly can. And and I, I think that distinction's always been a bit of a fig leaf anyway, to tell you the truth. it's 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 been about the careers of people like Milo and Mike Cernovich and you know, the respectability of Breitbart more than it's been about the, the, the sort of realities of the people who are showing up to their events or the people that are clicking on Breitbart articles. Well, I think we might leave it there, Jason. What On a depressing note, once again. <laughs> yes, thanks for joining us. Well, uh, you know, barring nuclear annihilation, hopefully we'll talk <clears throat> again soon. Yeah, that'll be good. Thanks, guys. All right, Andy. Well, we are all out of time here on The Sewer Show tonight. So... Uh, all gone. That's all we've got time for tonight. The Mafalda program is up next. We'll see you next month. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.